0: Uh, good afternoon, or is it good evening, our uh, dear listeners? I greet you, or in the name of Jesus, and just want to uh, thank you for tuning in to this uh, radio uh, broadcast. Uh, you are tuned into Force FM, and uh, I hope that we're going to have a good time uh, together. Uh, it's uh, your brother, Brother Mela, and I bring you a message of good news uh i bring you the gospel uh before we uh, begin let's just open in a word of prayer and just commit this program and indeed even you are listeners into uh, the hands of god father we thank you in the name of jesus we thank you for an opportunity and a privilege to hear your word. in the name of jesus thank you father for making available the gospel Thank you for the opportunity to share this gospel, even to our dear listeners. We pray that, Father, by your Spirit, you enable us to speak the mind of God. That you also enable the healers to understand the Word. Because the entrance of your Word brings light and makes the simple eyes in the name of Jesus. Your name be glorified, your name be lifted up on high. Father, we pray that you will help us as we look into your word, even consider uh, your law of liberty uh, this afternoon in Jesus' name. We have prayed with our hearts full of thanks. Amen and amen. Well, our dear listeners, uh, this afternoon, or is it this evening, I bring you a message that I've uh, entitled... You are without excuse, or in other words, you do not have an excuse. And we're going to consider reading uh, in the book of Romans, chapter number 1. I'll start from verses number 16, because uh, as verses 16 is a very famous uh, portion as far as uh, uh, the book of Romans is concerned. Then I'm going to go down. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith." Verses 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest to them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse so that they are without excuse in your own time dear listener, you can read the whole uh, portion the whole chapter just to get the full context of uh, the chapter that we are considering uh, this morning yeah now before i go in details in uh, discussing or or looking at this topic in detail, I want us to consider two attributes of God, two characteristics of God. Of course, God has got many characteristics, is many faceted, but I want us to consider uh, uh, this afternoon only two of those characters of God. The first one is what have uh, uh, said love and mercy, or mercy and love. God is a God of mercy. He is a God of love. Scripture is full of places where we are told that God is full of mercy. There are a lot of examples in the scriptures of people, individuals, Even entire nations where God exercised and demonstrated his mercy and his love. In fact, the Bible says that God is full of mercy. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. God does not run out of His mercy. That is one of His enduring characteristics. He does not decide that today I'm not going to be merciful. He is full of mercy. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. And I'll read from verses number Verses number four. Of course, for, for the sake of context, you can read from verses number one. But I just want to make a point here. The Bible says, But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. But God who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. Now, the point I'm trying to make here is the fact that God is rich in mercy. He is not poor in mercy. He does not have a poverty of mercy. He is rich. His worthy in mercy. It means that he does not run out. He cannot run out of mercy. And that is good news, dear listeners. It means that right now, as you are listening to me, God has exercised mercy over you. God is continually exercising mercy towards you and over you. He is a God of mercy. He is rich in mercy. His mercies are new every morning. Now, it is because of his mercy that God now even has another attribute related to that. That is the attribute of love. He is also a God of love, he is a loving God. He doesn't just have love, he is love. He doesn't just have mercy. He is mercy. That is his character. We are told in the book of John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So you see the actions of God are founded in his characteristics. The giving that God. Does the gifts that God gives to us are as a result of His love, as a result of His mercy in the book of Romans, chapter number five? We also see uh, this uh, 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 aspect of love emphasized, but God commended His love toward us in that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember that Christ did not die as an answer to anyone's prayer. Christ did not go to the cross because someone fasted. Christ did not pray. come to the earth and eventually died to pay for sins because we were good people or because we are lovable. No, there was nothing lovable about us. There was nothing good about us. We did not do anything good. The Bible says, while we're still sinners, while we're still deep in our sins, Christ came and died for us. So you see, Because of His love, because of His mercy, we see that even today, we are preserved because of His love. We are preserved because of His mercy. Those are two important attributes of God that I wanted uh, to bring to your attention this afternoon. But I also want to bring one attribute of God. Like I said, there are many attributes of God, but I wanted to discuss generally two, love and mercy as one, and then justice as another attribute of God. God is also a God of justice. He is a God of justice. In the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter number 89, Psalms chapter number eight nine verses fourteen. I listen to what Psalms eight nine fourteen says. The Bible says justice and judgment are the habitation of your throne. Mercy and truth shall go before your face. Justice and judgment are the foundation. Another uh, uh uh, vision says, at the foundation of his throne, the throne of God is founded on justice. The throne of God is founded on judgment. So you see, many times we have emphasized the attributes of mercy and love at the expense of justice and judgment. Sometimes the gospel is presented in such a way that we think that there's only one side to God. God is many faceted. He has many sides. He is multidimensional. He has many dimensions. He is not just a God of love, He is not just a God of mercy. He is also a God of justice, He is also a God of judgment. So now, what does it mean when we say that he is a God of justice and he is a God of uh, judgment? We have already demonstrated that being a God of mercy and love is the reason why Christ came. For God so loved the world that he gave. Because he loved us, he gave us. While we are sinners, Christ died for us. So you see, because of his two attributes... We'll see what he is able to do. But I want us to briefly consider the fact that because God is a God of justice, he is a God of judgment, there are certain things that he is going to do, there are certain things that he has done based on the justice and judgment of God. Praise the Lord. I want us to consider... uh, A story or an account in the book of Genesis chapter number 18. Yeah. Now, just to summarize what I want to focus on in Genesis chapter number 18. This is a story of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of their sin. Now what was demonstrated there in Sodom and Gomorrah was not mercy, it was not love, it was justice and judgment. Now I'll read from verses number from verses number 18, from verses number seven, okay, I'll read from verses number 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. Now, just to add a bit of context. Abraham was visited by three men. He did not realize that they were angels. So he cooked a meal for them. He washed their hands, uh, I mean their, their feet. And when they were just about to... To, uh, to leave That the conversation with Abraham, and this is what I want us to, to look at. And the men rose up from this and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and might nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? for i know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the lord to do justice and judgment that the lord may bring upon abraham that which he hath spoken of him and the lord said because the cry of sodom and gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from there and went toward Sodom. But Abram stood yet before the Lord. So you see, the Bible says that the cry of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah cried out to God. There was so much sin in Sodom and Gomorrah that what they were doing was going before the throne of God, begging for judgment and justice. And God says, I will go down and see whether what they have done is indeed uh, reflecting the cries that have been uh, coming to me. So, you see, the point that I'm trying to make is that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is a demonstration of an attribute of God called justice and judgment. And God has, a ra- has all the right as a creator to exercise judgment and justice. Another place in the book of Genesis where we see a justice demonstrated is the story of Noah. You see, we find uh, something similar to what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, uh, the, 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 the Noah uh, 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 story is earlier that people became so sinful that even when Noah was preaching to them, even when he presented the gospel. Even when he sent out messages of salvation to them, they could not hear. Rather, they started even mocking him. And what do we see? We see them destroyed by a flood that came because God sent a rain uh, to pour over the earth. I'm trying to emphasize this because this is one of the issues that are under-emphasized. We do not emphasize much on the judgment and the justice of God. God is a God of justice. That means that he is going to punish sin. God is going to punish sin. There is no sin that will go unpunished, beloved. There is no sin that will not be punished. God will require it on you. God will require it from you. Whatever it is that you have done in your body. He will require it from you. He will demand justice. God cannot just close his eyes and pretend that you didn't do what you did. God can't just ignore it. God has to punish it. He will punish every sin. He will reward every man according to what he has done in his, in his own body. He will demand from every man. Now, let me bring in good news. The good news is that as far as God is concerned, the punishment for sin has already been paid. And that punishment has, and that payment for sin has been done in totality. Jesus has paid that penalty. He has paid the payment for sin on the cross. Now, what we see on the cross is a beautiful picture where the Justice of God and the mercy and the love of God met on the cross in the person of Jesus. What do I mean? On the cross, we do, we see both attributes that we're discussing now fulfilled in the man Jesus. We see the love of God in full on the cross. How do we see it? We see the love of God demonstrated in that God gets a man without sin, a man that wasn't deserving of death, and puts him to death. That death was not a death for himself. It was a substitution. He did not die on his own behalf. He died on behalf of others. He died on my behalf. He died on your behalf. Now, what we see there is a demonstration of love. As we read in Romans 5, 8, it says God demonstrated his love. What we see on the cross is a full demonstration of the love of God in the bottle of Jesus. God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died it is us who are sinners it is us who should have died it is us who are sinners it is us who should have paid a full payment for our sin because the bible says the wages of sin is death the bible says while yet sinners that means that we should have paid the penalty god should have required it from us to pay that penalty of sin but instead of requiring and demanding that from us he demanded it from Christ the bible tells us in the book of second corinthians chapter number 5 verse 17 it, it, it says if any man are being Christ is a new creature later on it says that god was in Christ reconciling men to himself that means that the death of Christ is the death of god god placed all the sin of the world on Jesus. The Bible says he was without sin, and yet he paid the penalty for sin. That means that the payment that he made was not demanded from him based on what he has done. It was demanded of him based on what the world did. He took the whole sin of the world, and it was placed in his own body. And his body was torn and destroyed on the cross to pay the full penalty for your sin and for my sin. The Bible tells me in John 1, 29, it says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. What Christ did on the cross was to receive the whole sin of the world and he took it away. He took it away outside the city. He took it away on the cross. And on the cross, his body was destroyed. His spirit was mad in sin. God forsook him on the cross. So the good news is that though we are saying that God is the God of justice and that he would demand a payment for sin, I'm also saying that that payment for sin has already been done, it has already been made, it has already been paid, and it was paid in full, it was paid in totality. There was no part of it that wasn't paid. All of it was paid in full and in totality. Christ endured all that he endured on the cross to pay the price for your sin, to pay the price for my sin. So the good news for the sinner is that someone has already paid the price for your sin. Now that is good news. That is good news. The price for your sin has been settled. But that price for your sin is only beneficial. The benefits for what Christ di- for what Christ did on the cross can only accrue to you if you accept the payment for your sin. If you accept that gift. That is the only time the payment will become beneficial. That is the only time it will become effic- efficacious. Otherwise, all this time around, you can think there is power in the blood, wonder working power in the blood. But if you have not placed your faith in what Christ did on the cross, believe you me, though the blood of Jesus is full of power, it will benefit you nothing. It will benefit your neighbor, but it will not benefit you until you place your faith in Jesus. And this point is exactly what is demonstrated in the uh, portion that we read in Romans chapter number one. And I'll go back to Romans chapter number one and uh, I'll spend a bit of more time there because that is where uh, what I want to fully discuss is. Verses number 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live. By faith. Now, you note that the Bible in verse 16 says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is not the power of God for every man, it is the power of God only for them who have believed, for Jews who have believed, for Gentiles who have believed. The gospel has no power whatsoever to a man who does not believe it. The gospel only has power to a man who embraces it, to a man who believes it, to a man who places full trust in the work of Christ on the cross. Those are the only people that the gospel has power over. Otherwise, like I said earlier on, you can sing all you want about the power of the a blood of Christ, but if you place if you place your your faith not in what Christ did on the cross, you will remain with your sins. You are yet in your sins. You will die in your sins, and when that happens, you will have to pay your own price for your sins. What Christ paid on the cross will become. Of none effect to you, because you have not received it, the Bible tells us in John 1:12, but as many as received him to them gave it the power to be called or to become the children of God, as many as received him. So you see, it is not everyone who can be called a child of God. I know that we use the term "child of God" very loosely. Not every person is a child of God. The Bible says only those that received Him were given the power. We are given the authority to be called children of God. That means that those that have denied Him, those that have rejected Him, those, they are not children of God. They have no power. They have no authority to call Him Father. They have no authority. And uh, I'm reminded of one place where Jesus says that He will be ashamed of some in the presence of His Father. That you will say to him, Father, Father, and you will say, I never knew you. Because you see, the fatherhood of God is not, an automatic, it, it's not automatic as long as you are a human being, no. It is, it is only given, it is only a privilege for those that have received him, that have believed on him. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So, you see, we see two important attributes. We see his love. We see his mercy. We know about his love. We know about his mercy. But we, we also see, on the other hand, his justice. We also see, on the other hand, his judgment. He demands a full penalty for sin. He demands a full penalty for sin. God cannot ignore it. He cannot just pretend it never happened. He requires that every sin is paid. Every sin is punished in full. But the good news is that Christ has already paid the price for sin. I just said earlier that when Christ died on the cross, his death was not for himself. The Bible says that he was tempted in every point, yet without sin. Therefore, it follows to mean that the death that he died was not his own death. The death that he died was your death. It was my death. He died for me. He died Ask me. You see, we see two beautiful things on the cross. We see a work called substitution on the cross. We also see a work called identification on the cross. Substitution is the fact that Jesus was my substitute. Instead of me, he died in my place. That is substitution. It was I who was supposed to die. When I was deep in my sin, I was supposed to die. I was supposed to pay the wages for my sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But instead of God requiring that I die because of my sin, Christ died for me. That is substitution. He died for me. He died for me. Now you see, the good news is that Jesus died for sinners. It means that every sinner has an opportunity to accept the payment that Christ made. And make it become their own payment. The second thing that we see is the way called identification. Christ identified himself with humanity. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, the Bible says that God was in Christ. So you see, what we see happen on the cross is that God became a baby. God became a human being. We see from the conception of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that there was no human sperm involved in the conception of Jesus. The Bible says uh, the power of the Holy Ghost will overshadow you. That was the angel Gabriel telling uh, Mary when she said, but how shall these things be considering that I'm a virgin? The angel says the power of the Holy Ghost shall overshadow you. And that which you shall conceive shall be of the Holy Ghost. So, what we see is that God himself, because men had no capacity, men had no capacity to pay the price for their sin. Men could not be made right on their own efforts. They tried, but they failed terribly. Men tried, but they failed Terribly, very terribly. And because of that, and because God is a God of love, he decided, okay, what I'm going to do is that I am going to become a man. I'm going to be fully identified with humans, to become a human, to be born the way humans are born, to be born of a woman, to live just the way they live. Then I'm going to die for them and carry their sin in my body, and have my body destroyed on the cross, and as a result pay in full the penalty for sin, the consequences for sin, the effects of sin, whatever it is that is associated with sin, I will deal with it. That is what Christ did on the cross. He was fully identified with humanity. Therefore, it means that his death, he did not just die for me, he also died as me. So, as a believer, I consider myself dead. (coughs) In fact, the Bible says in the book of Romans, should be chapter number six, somewhere there, it says, reckon therefore yourselves dead to sin. Why are we Considering ourselves dead to sin, because when Christ died, He died as me. He died as me. When He died, I died. He didn't just die for me, He also died as me. And remember, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That means that when Christ died, I died. It means that when that penalty for sin was settled, my penalty for sin was settled. The payment, the payment for my sin was settled fully. Because there's no punishment for sin for someone who has died. I have died. Believers have died in Christ. They have fully paid the price. It can no longer be demanded from them because they are dead. The life that they now live, they live by the faith of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, it is not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. It is not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Why is he saying this? Why is he saying it is not I that lives? Because he died on the cross. When Jesus died, he died. But the life that we now have is the life of Christ. It is Christ that now lives in us. This is why we are called Christians, Christians, Christ-like. Because we are expressing and demonstrating the life of Christ here on the earth. Now, having said all that I have said, I want to go back to the scripture that we read in Romans And it says we are without excuse. No one has an excuse for not believing the gospel. Even people who have never heard the gospel preached. They will have no defense against God. They will not say I never heard the gospel. Because what we have read is that. The invisible things of God from creation are clearly seen by everyone. So you see, uh, dear listeners, God is there. You don't need anyone to prove to you the existence of God. God is there. You know it. From the inside of you, there's a witness on the inside of you. You know that you are not an accident on the earth. You know that you are an intentional, a deliberate creature. And if you are a creature, it means that there is a creator. There is a creator for every creature. Now, every human being knows that they didn't just fall from... Somewhere they they, they didn't come to the earth or in the earth as a result of a big bang. They were intentionally and deliberately designed by an intelligent God. He arranged our body in such a way that we all know that we are not an accident. We were created. We are creatures. And if we are creatures, there must be a creator. And this is what Romans number one is saying. No one will have an excuse. No one will say that I never heard. I was never warned. Just the fact that you are a human being knows that there is something deep rooted on the inside of you that bears you witness that you are not an accident, you are a creature, and that there is an intelligent uh, creator behind your existence. And because of that, you ought to give glory to your creator. Because of that, you ought to acknowledge him. But for you, beloved, that are listening to uh, to me this afternoon, in addition to the fact that there's something on the inside of you that tells you that there's a, a creator, there's also the voice of the gospel that you're hearing. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But it is only the power of God unto salvation for those that believe. So I'm here as an ambassador. I'm begging you this afternoon, be ye reconciled to God. God has committed to us believers a message of reconciliation. and that is the message that I bring to you this afternoon. You have no excuse. God is calling you. God wants you to be reconciled. Second Corinthians chapter number five, verses number 18. and all these things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's steady. Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew not sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <clears throat> we are ambassadors. We are begging you. If you do not know Jesus, if you have never known Jesus, you have never made Christ Lord of your life, I am begging you, I am beseeching you that you be reconciled to God. Now you know that I'm not saying, I'm not praying for you that God should be reconciled to you. I'm begging you to be reconciled to God because the Bible says that God has already, is already reconciled. Praise the Lord. Verses number 18 says, who has reconciled us to himself. God has already reconciled himself to humanity by the death of Jesus. But individuals need to reconcile themselves back to God. Individuals need to reconcile themselves back to God by believing the gospel. By believing the gospel. Praise the Lord. That is what you need to do. You are without excuse. There is no excuse. Like I said The good news is that the price has already been paid. You don't have to pay it on your own. Jesus paid that price on the cross. And because he did, you don't have to pay it. You don't have to pay it. The payment was made already on the cross more than 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. And when he rose after three days, that was a demonstration that the payment that he, was, uh, that he made was totally acceptable to God. That the offering for sin that Christ presented was totally acceptable to God. And that should make you rejoice that Christ rose from the dead is evidence that Christ has accepted the payment Christ that God has accepted the payment that God has accepted the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross the death of Christ was not a suicide the death of Christ was not an assassination it was a sacrificial offering of himself for the sake of humanity and why did he offer himself he offered that our sins may be removed forever and because of that the Bible says that that God has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Praise the Lord. Now that is totally good news. God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Oh, shaketo prayezo. Oh, that is good news. That is good news. That is good news. That means that he he, he is not requiring it from me. He, 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 He is not asking me to pay the price. Why? Because Christ has already paid the price. You see, in the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system that came with the law. You see, when the law was instituted, God also instituted a sacrificial system. Why? Because God knew that man could not be right uh, before him outside of Christ. So when the law was given, a sacrificial system for the payment of sins was also instituted. So we had the tribe of Levi, Who are predominantly uh, priests, starting with Aaron and Moses and the sons of Aaron after that? They were priests. Their job was to minister before God offerings for sins. Now, there were many sins that were offered, there were many sacrifices that were offered. There, was, there, there were sin offerings, praise offerings, and all sorts of offerings, bent offerings. And those offerings were going in day in and day out. Now, you notice that those priests, when they were in those temples, they never had chairs for sitting. Because people are constantly sinning, and you have to constantly offer those sacrifices offer those sacrifices continually they even had shifts when one shift is over another person goes in and i need to be their shift to offer sacrifices before god now there was one day called the day of atonement that day happened only once a year And it was only one man who was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And that man could only go in with blood for his sins and for the sins of the nation. But the only unfortunate thing about that system was that it never removed the consciousness of sin. And it never completely removed the sin away from man. This is why they were never sitting. They never sat down. They never sat down. When they offered these sacrifices, they were always standing. But the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, it says, but this man, talking about Jesus, but this man, after he had made a sacrifice of himself, he sat down. Jesus, even right now, is not standing. He is seated. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the majesty. He is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. Why is he seated? Because the work that he did on the cross was complete. The work that he did on the cross, it was accepted he no longer has to make any more sacrifices for sin. This is why John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away, he does not just cover your sins, he takes away the sin of the world. And dear listener, I'm telling you that your sins have been taken away. Your sins have been taken away. But everything I've said this afternoon can only be of effect to you when you believe the gospel. It can only be of effect to you when you accept the price that Christ paid on the cross. If you do not, you have to settle the bill on your own. You have to make the payment for sin on your own. If you do not accept what Christ did on the cross. This is why, as we read, that the gospel is the power of God, but it is only the power of God to them that believe. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you are at, it doesn't matter how deep you are in sin. As long as you believe the gospel, you are guaranteed of salvation because the gospel is the power of God and salvation for them that believe first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So as I conclude, dear listeners, I want to give you an opportunity that someone gave me more than 20 years ago. I met Christ more than 20 years ago because someone... Preach the gospel to me just the same way that I've shared the gospel to you. But in addition to what I've shared, I want to extend an invitation to you to make Christ your Lord. To make him master over your life. Praise the Lord. It does not just become your master. He also becomes your savior. The savior of your soul. So I want to give you an opportunity To make Christ Lord over your life. Now you may be in a place and you're asking, Brother Miller, what do I need to do? What should I do? I go to church. I do good things. I'm I'm a good person. Dear listener, all those things that you do are commendable. But salvation is found only in one man. Salvation is found only in one man, and his name is Jesus. It is not found in your good deeds. It is found in what Christ did on the cross. The Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter number 4, verses 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So you see, there is no other way unto salvation. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life when he says i am the way he is implying he is the only way i know that modern religion now teaches that there are many ways to god no that is not true there is only one way jesus didn't did not say i am a way he said i am the way the way He used a definite article, the way, meaning he is the only way to the Father. There is no salvation in any man other than Christ. So this afternoon, I'm extending an invitation to you to make Jesus your Lord. To make him Lord over your life. We are in a brand new year, 2022. One of the best things you can do for yourself is to begin this year with a walk with God. I'm sure when you look back in the years that have gone past, you wonder what you have done. You have wasted your life, but there is an opportunity for you as long as you are alive. You can make that decision as long as you are breathing. You can make that decision. You can make the decision to follow Christ today. You can make the decision to follow Christ this very hour. You will be saved in a moment, in an instance. All that you have to do is to place your trust on the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter number 10. I'll read Romans chapter number 10 and show you for those that are asking, how shall I be saved? That question that you're asking is a million dollar question. It is a question that so many throughout generations have asked. That is the right question to ask. What shall I do to be saved? And before I read from Romans, we we'll see a similar question asked in the book of Acts chapter number 4. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We'll see a similar question. Oh, praise the Lord. We'll see that question asked when... A Uh, Paul and Silas uh, were uh, were in prison, it should be Acts chapter number 16. Let me just uh, uh, check that again. Acts chapter number 16. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So it's Acts chapter number 16. And of course, because of the interest of time, I would not read the whole portion. But please uh, read the whole portion to understand the context. So this is Paul and Silas. uh, Just a bit of context. This is Paul and Silas. They were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And the Bible says at midnight how they began to sing praises to God and other prisoners who were healing them. Then at midnight when they were singing and praising God. In the afflictions, the Bible says the prison doors were opened. And the jailer, or what you would call a prisoner of order, when he saw that he wanted to kill himself. So I'll read from verses 27. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep. And seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Like I was saying, many people have asked a similar question that you're asking in generations past we see people in Acts chapter number two ask the same question so you see what you must do to be saved is to believe on the lord jesus like we have said believe on the lord jesus bless your faith in the work that Christ did on the cross, I'm going to show you quickly in Acts chapter, in Romans chapter number ten what the Bible says you must do. I'll read from verses nine. It says that if you if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes and is made righteous, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation so you see dear listeners we do we we see two things there it says you need to believe in your heart that god has raised jesus from the dead then you need to confess with your mouth that jesus is lord so if you are there and you are saying brother miller help me i want to make jesus lord of my life I want to pray with you quickly. I'm going to lead you in a a prayer which should be your own prayer. So just pray after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the message I've heard. I believe in my heart that you have raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth that jesus is lord i place my faith fully in the work of christ on the cross i believe and accept the payment that jesus paid on the cross in Jesus' name amen now dear listener if you prayed that prayer I want to guarantee you that Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your Savior. If you prayed it, if you meant it, praise the Lord. And because of time, because we have limited time on radio, I want you to reach out to us on the numbers that I'm going to shout out. And we're going to help you with more information on what the decision you have made. Are made means, and what the next steps are, and even if you need uh, to be helped with the church where to go, you can call these numbers because now that you are in Christ, you're a Christian, you have begun a journey, and you need to belong to to to, to a church. So the number is o nine seven seven four one seven three two seven o nine seven seven four one 7327. 7. You can also call 0977 945913. And uh, with that, uh, I just want to thank you uh, for staying with us. And I pray that the Lord will bless you. Until we meet next time, shalom, shalom. It has been your brother, Brother Miller. God bless you. Amen and Amen.